thankful to be here. Uh, just a real quick footnote to kind of give y'all, uh, let you know. Uh, my wife was making progress. She finished her antibiotics, and we just assumed and planned on her being here today. And last night, she started having chills, and we took her temperature, and she had 101.2 temperature last night. So just out of the clear blue, started something over again. And uh, so this morning, I checked it. It was 100.1 or 100.2. And uh, so she's, she's watching at home. And, um, and so I just, uh, I, we were just kind of really shocked, actually, to, out of just nowhere. We thought she was making great progress. And, and so we're just trusting the Lord, and, and uh, we, we just know He's in control. And so that's, we just, but I just felt very, I mean, I would stay if I needed to stay. The elders make, they communicate to me, you do what you need to do. But we, we are confident that I need to be here today. And, uh, and she's fine uh, to, to be there, and, and Brian and Leo are there. Um, so we're grateful that, uh, that they're so close by. So uh, what I, in way of introduction, I wanted to just make a few comments about some folks that have blessed us in the past. People that, most of these that I'm referring to, a couple, have already gone home to be with the Lord. They They've, they've already died and gone to heaven. They're walking the streets of gold. They're enjoying the presence of the Lord. And, uh, but, but they made such an impact in our lives. Um, Linda and I often think about, and some of you will remember, Dr. and Mrs. Brandon. Well, after Dr. Brandon passed away, and she was a widow there uh, at, at home, she would call us up. Now, she lived north, Sherman was north of Dallas. So she would call us up on many Saturdays and say, what are some prayer needs, some requests that you could give me that I could pray for? So every, almost every Saturday, not every Saturday, but a lot of Saturdays and, and most Saturdays, she would call us up and, and uh, ask us for prayer requests and she prayed for the church. She prayed for North Belt. She, she spent time in, on her knees praying for our church. And she prayed for our three children and for their spouses and for the grand, our grandchildren. And she prayed for us very clearly that God would continue to use us. She was just such an example, such a... Such a godly woman, such an example of godliness, and, and just she's so genuine. And, um, and then you'll remember, so that was Mrs. Brandon and, and Dr. Brandon. I can still remember him being out here in the parking lot with his arm around somebody's shoulder, and they were, had their heads bowed and praying. So he'd be praying with people out there in the parking lot. Just such a godly. And I will, I, I'll just tell you all this, I, you may or may not remember, but when Julie... When Julie got married, um, I did the ceremony, and, and Dr. Brandon did the first part, you know, who gives this woman, and so I walked Julie down the aisle. Well, then when I took over doing the ceremony, 
I just felt so bad. I felt bad ever since then. It was a very long ceremony. I had a lot of people. Now, there were a lot of people there. It was a big, it was big, over a thousand people. And I think there were 10 ordained preachers there. And, you know, it was one of the first courtship marriages and things. And people came from everywhere. And so, uh, but I never will forget how bad I felt that I, he stood the whole time while I'm doing all this and just really, and bless his heart. I mean, I don't know how he did it because there's no way I could do it now, staying that long. But, uh, but anyway, such an example. And then Dr. Gerald Melton, we called him Brother Melton. And he was, he was a, my pastor for when Lynn and I were first married. He was our pastor for 12 months. And you hear me talk about him like he was our pastor for 20 years. But he, he was our pastor for 12 months. We knew him longer than that, knew his family longer than that. But he came from Norhill Hill Baptist Church out of the Heights. And he came there, and it was just like pulling teeth to get him to, to move because he really felt led to go there. Then he ended up staying 12 months and went back to the same church he came from. But he told me many times, he had a little Volkswagen bug. Anybody remember Volkswagen bug? He and I would sit out in that Volkswagen bug and he would say, because I was really hard charging at that time. I was still on the Houston Police Department and I was preaching every chance I got and I was doing a few little small country revivals and things. And, and he was concerned about my zeal that it was a little bit too strong in some areas. And so he would say, now, Brother Rod, you need to major on the major and minor on the minors. You're, you're, you're majoring on some minors. And uh, so he preached my ordination service in 1975. He actually was the, the he did the, the service. And I never will forget, in that message, he made a statement. He said, Brother Rod, and I, this has stayed with me the whole time. He said, feed them, don't skin them. Now think about that. You know, you think about the congregation and the flock being sheep. Feed them, don't skin them. And that's kind of stayed with me. It took me a little while to get over the skinning part. I kind of enjoyed the skinning part uh, at first. But, uh, but he... Uh, but he was, and then the famous statement, and I know some of you used to say, well, I've heard this about 10 times, but it, it, it leads into where we're going today, okay? But um, he was the one that made the statement. He, he was the first preacher that we had that taught us anything about spiritual warfare. He, he was the first. We didn't, we didn't know anything about spiritual warfare. We had never really, I hadn't even really heard about spiritual warfare. I didn't understand anything about spiritual warfare. But he was the first, and so he made the statement, and this was one of his statements he just made over and over to people and to, when he would be preaching. Because we're all, we're, if you are aware of what's going on, I think the church is under a terrible attack. Not just our church. I'm not thinking just Northbelt. The church, the church in America is under tremendous attack. And so, and trials. Families have trials like you just wouldn't believe. Things turn, you know, this happening and that happening and this going bad and this, you know, and all these different things. And there, it, it seems like it's really intensified in the last 18 months. 
But he would make this statement, the devil gets you out in the middle of the lake to drown you, and God lets you get out in the middle of the lake to show the devil how well you can swim. Okay, so think about your trial, think about your struggle, think about what you're going through, and you're thinking in despair, the devil's getting me out here to drown me, and, and God has allowed it. Why'd God allow it? So he could show, we could show the devil how well we can swim because we're in Christ. And so it's important that we understand some very practical things from the Word of God that helps us in this, this battle, uh, this spiritual warfare, this battle that we're in. And so that's kind of where we're going today. And John, that's why your passage that you read uh, for scripture reading is so, so critical and so important. So if you will, turn back to 1 John chapter 1. I want to just in a very brief, and I do mean brief way, just remind us of last week a little bit, because these kind of connect. These connect together. This is 1 John, beginning verse uh, chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, if we say, and, and folks, I've heard people teach this all kind of ways, that this is to believers, and, and then I've heard it taught it's to non-believers. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we say we don't have any sin, if you say, I don't, I don't ever struggle with sin, what are you talking about? I'm born again. I'm free from all of that. If you say that you don't have sin and you don't have a struggle with sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, in this verse, verse 9, it, you have confession. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I want to relate this passage, this 1 John 1, 9, in the spiritual warfare, and, and we kind of laid the groundwork last week, but we want to consider, and the reason I've kind of really come on strong about this from last week, that we want to see God take back the ground that the church has given over to him, to Satan. So we want to see ground recovered, okay? We want to see ground recovered. So I've got two words that I want you to think about, and I have them in my notes here, and it just kind of helps us when we start thinking about taking back ground. The pro And listen, we've all heard great teachers. I mean, the seminar that we went to, uh, you know, all of us, most of us have been to it. We've heard the teaching on taking background. But we can simplify this by saying admission and confession. Admission and confession. In other words, I have to admit that I, I, I have sin that I'm dealing with in my life, I admit it, and therefore I'm agreeing with God. 
I agree with God that what he says in his word is true. That yes, I, I struggle with sin. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sin. God, right now, in this place today and in this message, is wanting us to admit that yes, we struggle with it in all vari varieties of sins. And we agree with him that what he's pinpointed by the Holy Spirit in our lives, what he says is sin is sin in my life. And I recognize it and I'm confessing that to him. You're going to have to tell him, God, you've, you said this is sin. And listen, I'm going to tell you what, it can be, it can be a thought. It could be a thought that you had that's an unchristlike thought. It could be any kind. And a lot of people, you know, there's no sense going down the trail of the individual sins. But it can be a thought. It can be a word. But you and I have a responsibility to say, because if you're born again, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. And he will bring conviction in your life if you know Jesus. He will say that is sin. You just committed sin. You thought sin. You said a word that was sin. You, there, there's sin. And you're going to have to admit it. And the problem is you can't just continue to sweep it under the rug or act like it doesn't exist. Admit it. God, what you're saying about my life, my behavior is accurate. It's true. So we, we have this battle with the devil and his demons that's ongoing, and I believe it's, I believe it's very real. I, I really believe in spiritual warfare. We're going to need, if we're going to make any progress, and if we're going to see victory in our individual lives and victory in the church, victory in our families, we're going to have to see God take back the ground. We're going to have to get to the place where we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, realizing our adversary is like a roaring lion. He's seeking about whom he may devour. And we're going to have to get right with God and say, God, and stop, and don't deny it. Agree with him. Yes, you, what you're saying that is going on in my life is sin. Now, you've heard this before, and I want you, you know, great, these great men of God that we've heard and had here in the church, and you've been to seminars. For the believer, Satan does not, just like a tank, roll over us. He only takes ground that we relinquish or we surrender or we give to him. He doesn't take it by force. We surrender it willingly. Does that make sense? Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So, so, Cry, I'm in Christ and, I, and Christ is in me. And so the devil is 
a toothless, he's powerless. The only advantage he has is when I allow him to take advantage. It's only when I allow him to take advantage. Now, we're going to look up some passages, and I could have written them all out on a piece of paper and had somebody type them. I could have them. Let's look them up. I think it's important if you still are old-fashioned enough to have a real Bible in your hand. And no offense, please don't anybody turn everything off because you've got an a electronic device with a Bible on it. Don't, don't let that offend you. If you did, you're really thin-skinned, thinner than I thought. But let's turn the pages, if you will, because I'm telling you, Satan hates it when the church is in the Word of God. He hates this book with a passion. So let's look at some verses. Let's start with, and, and again, the, the, it's endless. We're not going to be able to cover them all, but look at Romans 8. Flip to Romans 8. We're, I'm wanting us to think about the verses. And again, I just have a, a small list, a short list of verses about the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. But I mean, there's so many more. And hopefully you'll do research and you'll discover you can come up with your own, compile your own list. Verse 33, chapter 8, the book of Romans. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen. And look at this. You know, we have the resurrection of Christ all through the word of God. It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh also maketh intercession for us. Why? Because we don't really know how to pray. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You and I need to be reminded today that in Christ, because of the death, burial, the shed blood, the resurrection of Jesus, we are, because we have faith in Him, we believed in Him, He's come in to dwell inside of us, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And when the devil starts whispering in your ear and telling you you're no good, you're a failure, you're never going to be able to accomplish anything, you're, you're just bent to end up in this direction and it's all bad, tell him that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Romans 6, that whole powerful chapter. What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You want to talk to the devil about the Word of God 
And he's saying, oh, you're just, you don't have any hope. There's no chance for you. You're, you're a loser. No, I'm sorry. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us that were, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, and it goes on and on. Verse 6, knowing this, knowing, confident of this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not, and say that word with me, we should not what? Serve sin. So you want the devil's going to come to you and say, there's no hope for you. And, and, and he'll, he'll come and he'll say things like, well, it's a generational thing and you're just stuck with it. No, that's not true. You're in Christ Jesus and you no longer have to serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing, these are key words, do some research, do your study in the Greek. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive. Be, reckon yourselves dead. Consider it a fact. Dead to sin indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Or Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians, go to 1 Corinthians, if you will. Wonderful passage. Chapter 15. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. The devil's whispering in your ear and he's trying to bring you down, try to discourage you, remind him, oh, death, where is thy sting? Don't let him, don't let him discourage you. Don't let him do all this to, to, to bring discouragement in your life. There's no reason for it. There's no reason. And this is not the, pros this is not the prosperity gospel. This is the true gospel. This is not just feel good. This is, I'm telling you the truth from God's word. Another, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, and you just, I mean this, it ought to just excite you. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're new creatures in Christ because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.10, you're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. It's important, and listen, that's just, that's just a little s snippet, if you will, of the verses that deal with the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. So last Sunday, I made a very strong appeal that we as believers would come clean with God. I, I believe, you know... Um, I've tried, I was driving in this morning. I was thinking about all kinds of things. I was thinking about boot camp. Have boot camp, how many of you have been to, to real boot camp? Anybody? Not, not boot camp? What, what uh, service? Oh, <laughs> Marine Corps. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, and Air Force, Army, Army. I was in the Navy. Who else? So boot camp, what would y'all say about boot camp? I mean, what, what would you say, what is boot camp to you? I mean, do y'all realize stuff that they did? You know, here I am, 17 years old. I turned 18 in boot camp. And I, I weighed, you know, I was, I was very thin then. So I had an Adam's apple, and I had a big, pretty good-sized nose. And I'm standing there for inspection, and they would skylight have the sun, and they would check your shave to make sure you got it close enough. And that was back in the day that they actually would grab you and slam you up against the wall if they didn't like the way things were going. I mean, you know, I don't think they do that kind of stuff now. But, I mean, it would get your attention. You know, like, oh, and they'd, you know, your locker, because they're preparing you to be on ship. I never really was assigned a ship. I was in the Navy, but I, I did stevedore work and wore marine greens in Da Nang for 12, 13 months. But, you know, they're preparing you to be able to fold your clothes and put them in little bitty things for like a ship. Well, you'd fold and fold and fold and try to do it right, and they'd come in, take one look, and they'd just take it and throw it out on the floor and say, redo it. Just pull it out on the floor and just throw it on the floor. They were, they were getting us ready for battle. They were get, I went through survival school where I, I think I've told y'all at least 10 times. Um, survival school, somebody went out and got some, like some crabs, little crabs. They put them in boiling water. And I don't know how many I ate, but I know I ate enough to make me very sick. I ate the shell I mean, I'm talking I ate the shell and all. I mean, whatever's on the inside of the shell of a crab, I ate the whole thing. I just chewed it up. I was so hungry. I found in the little campsite that we had, they had lean-to, just like a tarp, and we slept on the ground on, on needle, uh, pine needles. And I found somebody had left a tube. Uh, and you know how picky I am about, you know, sanitation and all this. I, somebody had left a used uh, toothpaste tube. I don't know what, how in the world they got that toothpaste in there, but I squeezed every drop of it out of that tube. I didn't care who had been using it before. It didn't matter. I squeezed it out, and I ate the toothpaste. I mean, I was, I was pretty hungry. 
Uh, they caught snakes. They killed rabbits. They did all kinds of stuff. Survival school is preparing you for war. Folks, the church in America has gone too soft. We're, we're not ready for battle. We, we need, we've got to go through some sort of preparation to realize this is not a joke. This is real. And families and fathers, let me tell you, Satan is out to tear your family apart. Satan is out to destroy your family. He's out to destroy the church. He's out to ruin your personal testimony. If he can do that, think about it. And why do you think elders and pastors have such a, an attack on their families and on their personal lives? Because I personally believe the Elders and pastors make a bigger splash when they fall. It's just, it's just the way it is. And so you need to be aware. They, they are, Satan is zeroing in on trying to take families, families that are counting for Jesus Christ and making a difference. He's out to take you down if he can't. But we've got to be We've got to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and, and, and we've got to know the Word of God to the point that we can't let Him do what He's wanting to do. But we're all under attack. And we've got to do our individual part as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think one thing boot camp did for me, it made us a unit. You know, the big thing, I saw it on a truck today, Something team. That's the big word today. We're, we're a team. The church needs to recognize we need to be in lockstep together. Marching together to war. Because, listen, a divided church, a church all splintered. And with this little pet peeve and this little pet peeve and all this, division enables the devil an easy victory. It's important that we must do our part. So, the Word of God. I believe, and we, we talk about it all the time, you know, let's don't get too proud, but we're thankful for North Belt because for we've been here 36 years, and, and everybody's pitched in. But there's been some solid preaching. These guest preachers, Pastor Joe, Aaron. There's been some good, solid, biblical preaching. But it's more than just listening to a sermon. And it's more than just taking notes in your notebook. It's a lot more than that. It's putting into practice what you've heard. One of the biggest troubling things to me is to hear when we have good, solid truth proclaimed and then, you, then the word gets back that somebody totally violated what they just heard in Scripture, what they just heard from the pulpit. So, <clears throat> James 1.22, Be ye doers of the word 
Now, when I read that to you, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Does anybody think of a member of this church that that reminds you of? Anybody? Anybody? Huh? I think of John Fields. I mean, if John Fields is going to get up and read a scripture and he could pick a scripture, I've heard him say this verse so many times. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Or if a man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened unto man beholding his natural face in a glass. So how many seminars have we been through? How many sermons have we, you know, somebody calculated one time how many sermons, you know, if you do three a week and you do two a week or whatever, you know, how many sermons a week in a, in a year, in a lifetime have we heard? We've heard the truth, we've heard the word of God, and yet we need to do more than just hear it. We need to actually put it into practice. So first, take back the ground. That's admission and confession. Repentance, that's a big topic. A lot of people talk about repentance. Repentance is the result of turning away from your sin and turning to Christ. Very simply put, turning away and turning to. Turning away from your sin, but turning to Christ. Now, last week, and I want to I just mention this again because it's really resonated with me. Uh, it, I, you know, been at this a while, and all of a sudden, some little nugget here really kind of... Uh, saying this is a possibility. The idea that Christians can become comfortable with their sin. They can become comfortable with their sin. That's a scary thought. To think that a Christian that hears the Word of God, loves the Word of God, loves the preaching of the Word of God, we preach and proclaim the Word of God, and we can get comfortable with our sin. And the last week, the illustration was bitterness. You know, uh, I know that you've heard the stories about law enforcement and all, but you know there's some people, their lifestyle, they live in trash, they do drugs, they do alcohol, they go to jail, I mean, you know, they frequent the jails, they, they, they raise their kids in that. Do you know there are people that they think that's the normal way to live? They actually believe that's, that's the way you live. I mean, what I've experienced, what you know, they're saying, what I've experienced in my life, the trash, the drugs, the needles, all of it, it's, that's, just, that's just the way I live. And they wouldn't know how to exist in a normal Christian family that doesn't do alcohol, don't do drugs, and they, and they exalt and lift up and read and, and, and pray and love the, the Lord Jesus. They wouldn't, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't, they would, they just, that would be so foreign to them. So I, I do believe that some people have just gotten used to their bitterness. They've been hurt in the past. People have said things or whatever. 
uh, and they've just kind of grown up with it, and, and it's just been a part of their life, and, and they, they're just kind of used to being bitter. I think some people are just used to talking about other people. I mean, you know, there's so much to talk about in life, but think about it. Some people just, they just want to talk about other people and what's going on in their life. They're, they're comfortable with it. They're comfortable with talking bad about other people. They're comfortable with, with not giving a good report. They're, they're comfortable with giving negative things. And, and you know the little illustration, the white piece of paper and the black dot? They're comfortable with being able to put a black dot on about somebody's life, put the dot on a white piece of paper so that that's all people ever see. They say, well, you know what? They really are a good person, but... And they've done a lot of good things, but there's this one thing, and someone told me about it, and it's this dot. You see, they get comfortable with that kind of lifestyle. You know, we had a man years ago, we had a man years ago that prayed for the invitation. He prayed, Lord, don't let us be too comfortable. In fact, he actually prayed, Lord, help us to be miserable. We don't need to be comfortable. We don't need to be lulled to sleep and rock, you know, lullabied to sleep. We need to, the, when the invitation comes, we ought to be doing business with holy God. And I, I'm convinced we can, if we're in, in face-to-face with God's holiness, He's holy, we're not, and He's going to show us things that need to change. And there's a man, and that man happens to be in this congregation today that I admire and respect a lot. And he has made a statement for years, and I'm going to quote it, and some of you may even know who it is. But it goes something like this. It's about talking. It's about sharing things about others. He said, just because it may be true, it doesn't mean You have to tell it. You know, don't you? Just because it may be true, it doesn't mean you have to tell it. I've had people say, well, now, preacher, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not telling anything that's not true. I'm I'm not fabricating. I'm 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 just telling facts. And, you know, the facts are there. But just because it may be true, it doesn't mean you really need to spread it. Because you need to ask yourself, is this going to lift this person up? Is this going to make this person look better in the eyes of others? Or is it going to tear the person down? You know, you can do the same thing by bragging on different church members and, you know, this one's doing so much and this one's not doing no much, you know. And, and it's lifting some up and tearing others down. We need to be real careful about these violations of Scripture that we really need to be doers of the Word. We've, we've heard it. We hear it over and over. Let's take it seriously and let's start applying some of the things that we've heard. So, now then, let's get to the beat of the message. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. 
Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, church, what I'm wanting to see us try to or attempt to do, it's like boot camp. We need to be in lockstep together. We need to be arm in arm. We need to be shoulder to shoulder. We need to be a force that's controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the lies, the trickery of the devil. We're going to have to be able to stand against that. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Just look around the the church, look around the body of Christ, look at brothers and sisters in Christ, and there are some people that you have a hard time, you don't like their personality, you don't like some things, some of the behavior things in their lives, you don't care for it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. I don't know how many times I don't know how many times I've had my wife when I just at times just feel the pressure, feel the, the you know, condemnation, whatever it is, and she'll remind me, Rod, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That other believer down the row from you, they're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. But here's where the fight is. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication with all saints. The battle, we, we look, if, if the church can get this truth, we're not to be fighting among ourselves. We're, it, we're not to fight. We're not to be allowing division to come. We're, our battle, we've got a real battle. And you see, one of the deceitful things that Satan is so good at, if he can get this little group over here and this little group over here, and I'm, I support them, and I support them. No, I like him better. No, I like them better. And he divide, divide and conquer. Satan is so good. If, if, the church, if we could today, during this invitation, if we could come to the place and say, I get it. I finally get it. Division allows Satan a foothold to conquer the church. And we just can't, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to fight, scratch, and claw 
till as long as I have breath to stand against division and disunity in the body of Christ. We have a, we'll never be able to defeat the enemy. We'll never be able to ha- or win the fight. We'll never be able to have victory with the word of God as long as we continue to violate the word of God. This is basic spiritual warfare. Put on the whole armor of God. Stop saying negative things. The scripture, James 4.11, speak not evil one of another. Don't judge each other. Stop doing that. Put all that aside. Matthew 5.23 and 24. If you're bringing your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled. First, be reconciled to your brother. First, be reconciled to your brother. Stop sowing seeds of discord. Just eliminate it. Stop. And if somebody starts dumping seeds of discord on you, just tell them, I I don't want to hear that. I mean, we all have an opportunity to bring unity. And the scripture in Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring, and I just love this passage, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavoring, you got to work hard. There's some effort. There's this... You've got to be determined. We've got to make up our minds today. Do we want a church divided or do we want a church united? And we're going to need to make a decision. And the decision time is coming. And we're going to have to admit and agree with God. There's some things that have gone on in my life. Words I've said. We ought to listen. When we speak evil against another brother or sister in Christ, we ought to feel so rotten. We ought to be so convicted. We ought to feel so bad. We ought to be so broken, so grieved that we would actually say something negative about somebody that says that they're a brother or sister in Christ. And if we would treat others the way we expect God to treat us through grace, then there'd be a whole lot more love and grace to go around. So I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you, all of us. This is for all of us. This is not, I'm not preaching down on you. I'm not saying I've got it together and you don't. I'm saying we're all in this together. And we all have a responsibility. We all have a part. I believe in God's powerful healing powers. I believe God wants to heal I think God wants to do something spectacular. I think God wants to do something mighty. But he's going to have to do it in your heart and my heart. So during the invitation, would you ask God for healing? Would you agree with God and tell God, this is, I'm in full agreement. What I've been doing has been sin. James, let me look at James. This was a passage that comes up from time to time. Let me look at this. James. James chapter 3. You want to turn there with me? James 3. Look at verse 13 and following. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But look at verse 14. But if you have bitter 
envying and strife in your hearts. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, and it just describes it, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, and gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. We're going to have an invitation. Aaron's going to lead us. And I challenge all of us. This is for all of us. This is for us. We're members of the body of Christ. We all have something I'm confident that we need to detail with God and say, God, you've called my attention to it and I'm going to confess it. I'm going to confess it. And I'm going to agree with you. And I'm going to repent from it. I'm going to turn away from it. And I am I, determined today to say, I'm going to go down fighting as one body, unified together, the church, winning victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. As Satan attacks, and he attacks the church, he attacks families, he attacks individuals. Let's see, is the word of God true or is it not? Is it right what, what we know to be true? Is it right? Then let's see God do something spectacular in our midst as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God because we know our adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Church, I challenge all of us to respond to the proclamation, the preaching of God's word. Let's, let's do not, let's do not allow the devil to take ground because we've relinquished, because we've surrendered it, because we've given it. Fight, 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 and be like those Marines. And I love, I love a lot of the stories. I've read some stories. I love that they leave no man behind. And there, buddy, you talk about a brotherhood. It is a brotherhood. Sometimes I think the Marines have more of a brotherhood than the church does. We need to stand firm together, shoulder to shoulder, and stand in unity. And, and Satan will be defeated. He is already defeated, but we need to let him know we know he's defeated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for uh, the power that we experience when we dig into the word of God and all the victorious verses that are there that uh, point to the victory that is ours in Christ. And I just pray that you would accomplish your will and your way during this special time, this invitation. And we pray that you'd bring glory and honor to yourself and that Jesus would be exalted. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to close with...